giving everybody and welcome. I haven't been up here yet uh, during the service. So nice to see people. And uh, we're celebrating the small wins. There's so many people here, which is so nice for some of you wondering, what are we talking about? Obviously, 50 inside, but we've got a whole lot of people outside. Are you guys okay out there? Can you hear me? And then we've got a whole lot of people in the foyer. I can't even see you, but I think you can see me, hopefully, and yeah. But it is just nice to have people coming to the building. Obviously, we know that church is not a building, but it just is so nice because church is community. So to see people's faces, even if it's half of them, <laughs> we are grateful. And for those obviously joining online, trust that you are enjoying the service with us today. And who knows how long this lasts. Um, I see the uh, vaccinations have gone up to 10 million. Um, some of you are probably wondering, oh my gosh, he mentioned that word vaccinations from the stage. We are obviously here to preach the gospel. We're not here to preach an agenda or a message. At the same time, um, we are kind of reserving our opinions as to what people should do. I think you've all got a free choice. If I can encourage you, whatever your decision is, just keep it to yourself. Everyone's so loud on their opinions of what to do and what not to do. Um, there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of stuff out there. The algorithms are clapping a lot of us on social media as well. And I think it's okay to have a different opinion to someone else and to be okay with that. We all have freedom of choice. Uh, but just from our side, if you get the vaccine, we're okay with it. If you don't get the vaccine, we're also okay with it. Whatever you choose, okay? We're not here to uh, preach an agenda. We stay as a church away from certain things like telling you who to vote for, telling you what choices you need to make when it comes to things that are quite sensitive. And it doesn't tell us exactly in the Bible what to do. You can attach scriptures if you are pro-vaccine and you can attach scriptures if you're against it. So uh, anyway, some of you are just asking me to please just move along and I will. But anyway, I just thought I'd mention it from up here. Okay, uh, if you get the vaccine, it also doesn't mean that you don't believe that Jesus um, can heal you from the virus, but if he can protect you from the virus, he can also protect you from the potential harms of the vaccine. So it works both ways. There's some people looking at me funny today. Anyway, um, you decide, and it's your choice. So we are in a series called Keep the Change, You Filthy Animal. Anyone remember what movie that is? Colin thought it was Dennis the Menace. It's actually Home Alone. Um, and uh, we are on week two. For those of you who missed week one, Dave Ramsey, who's a financial personality, has a radio talk show, and he, he's written uh, numerous books. It was just absolutely brilliant. I've watched it four times <laughs> since, uh, uh, you know, obviously watched it prior to showing it to you guys last week. And then we um, watched it here in the service twice, morning and evening. And then again, we showed it with our home group. And I just think it was brilliant. Amazing, amazing uh, just uh, talk around finance. And if you didn't miss, uh, catch it, you obviously can go catch it. It's on YouTube and Facebook. The service is still up there. But I really think if you haven't uh, watched it, you should go watch it. But today we're going to be looking at the four lies culture tells us about money. And this series, most of our content is original, but every now and again we pull a little bit from some other series. And Life Church in, in uh Oklahoma, a guy by the name of Craig Rochelle, amazing leader. This is a series that he ran there in his church, and we just felt it so good. And once a year, we like to do a teaching series on money. And I know some of you say, well, you guys talk about money every week because we do an offering. But I just think it's so important to teach into the subject. There are apparently 2,400 scriptures on how to handle money and possessions in the Bible. It was something that was pretty important to God and particularly Jesus. He spoke a lot about it because he understands the power and the hold it has over us. But last week, Dave Ramsey um, it just 
the way that he put everything was just brilliant. And basically what he's saying is, if you follow what culture says about money, you will get a culture type result. But if you do what the Redeemer says about money, you will get redeemed results. John 8, 12 says this. It's a quite a, a well-known scripture, but it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness because you will have light that leads to life. And money can be quite a dark like subject. And the reason I say that is I think there's often a lot of guilt around money, a lot of um, kind of depressing thoughts even around money. I know now in the past two years, particularly a lot of people are struggling and wondering how do they get out the hole. And last week, um, the, there was a moment where they spoke about debt. Like, well, I, don't, I feel overwhelmed about that. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of embarrassment about it. There's a lot of mistakes that have been made with money. I don't think any one of us have ever been perfect in the way we've handled our finances. But when you filter that thought through the scripture and Jesus says that you don't have to walk in darkness anymore because he came to shed light on many of those subjects for us and we can walk in the light, which leads to life. And life speaks of just a new start, freshness, newness, and that's what God wants for us. So today I'm giving you four lies culture tells us about money. So just in case you um, catch, you'll get, get into this message halfway through or even forget, these aren't points that I'm encouraging, but I'm saying these are the four lies. The first is this, you'll be happy if you buy blank. And you can place in any word that you want there. Again, this is not a point that I'm encouraging. This is a point that I think culture tells us. You will be happy. If you can just get this, you'll be happy. And often, we, I deserve that. So if, if I get that, then I can be happy. Or we look at what someone else has got, and, and I also deserve that, what they have. And then I'm going to be happy. And there's two problems with this thought, is we, we end up worshiping stuff. It's, it's quite a weird word. I thought of a better word, tried to think of a better word, like the word stuff. I mean, it can also be a swear word, right? People go, oh, stuff, you know. But stuff is anything that we accumulate over time. And how many of you know that when you move house, you realize how much stuff you have? And it's always the small stuff that takes the longest, like, and you end up chucking away a whole lot of stuff. But everyone likes stuff. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that, but I've said it a few times already. But we all like new things. There's another word that isn't really too, you know, stuff and things, okay? Come to church here to get a little bit more meat than that. But I remember right from young, um, and even watching my kids now, you give them pocket money and they want to go buy stuff straight away. My, my youngest son, like he just wants to go straight to the toy shop and spend it on stuff. Mainly that stuff is dinosaurs and doesn't know yet how to save. But even when I was young, I remember I used to love watches, I still do, but at the moment I just wear a Garmin watch most of the time now because it tracks my steps and my runs. I've got a whole lot of watches sitting at home, which is just stuff sitting around. I've been trying to think, what should I do with it? I don't want to give them away just yet because I think maybe I might, like, I don't know, maybe like in 10 years' time these things are like over. I don't know, maybe there's a whole new technology. But right from young, I've always enjoyed watches. Maybe I got it from my dad. He's sitting here today. I remember when, uh, when I was maybe about 10 he went and he bought this really nice watch, you know, and it had some gold on it. And, you know, as a young kid, you're like so excited, you know, and I just know I didn't understand the value of things, but it was, it had cost a lot of money. And I used to love going to this, uh, we used to call it like a, uh, what, I mean, it was, it was Munger's Tea Room. 
Was that what it was called? But it was like a shop, like in the middle of Sharker's Crawl. And he used to have this counter as you come on on the right, and it had watches there. And I'd always go and look through the glass watches and have a look. And I love watches and all the digital watches. I used to love the calculator watches. I've actually got three calculator watches, the traditional Casio ones, the black one, the silver one, and the gold one. And they're all different designs and shape. There's one more that I still want. <laughs> and I just remember it was so fun, you know, when you push the light. And I remember buying a watch. And then my mom took us to watch a movie. How many of you remember the BP building in the middle of Durban? There was a stir clinical there. We used to go watch movies there. I'll never forget it. And I was so excited about my new watch that I think I missed most of the movie by trying to set the alarm and play with the stopwatch. And I was shining the light and, uh, you know, because it was new. I mean, we all like new stuff. And I think the problem with what culture tells us is that stuff like will make us happy. And I suppose in some ways, it's a temporary happiness. It doesn't give us joy. Only God can give us joy. But we also live in a, in a culture where the stuff ends up owning us. And if you look at the scriptures, Jesus spoke so much about it, as I said earlier. Um, in Luke, there's two instances I can think of. He talks about the rich young ruler. He had a lot of money, and Jesus told him to give it away, and he went away very sad. There's another uh, scripture in Luke where he speaks about a rich guy building all these barns, tearing down his barns so that he can build more space for all the you know, um, stuff that's going to come in. And Jesus said this. He, he doesn't even know that this night he will die. And what was the point of all of it? Uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, spoke uh, a lot about you know, favoritism and, and the elites and those that had possessions and how they were forgetting the poor. Paul spoke a lot about that as well. As, as well. Now, it's okay to have nice stuff, but don't let the nice stuff rule your life. And last week, and I got some chains here. Sorry, it's making a bit of noise. It's pretty heavy. But um, this... Uh, analogy of the chains and how debt, because often to get stuff, we, we go into debt. And now it's so easy to get those things that you want. It can be, I mean, we're just used to now paying off a cell phone. You know, remember we used to say you get this phone free, you know, was part of the contract. Now they, it, you'll actually look on your contract, there's a handset device fee. So you're basically paying off the phone. And we're just so used to it now. Even if you bank with F&B, you can go in and, and add new devices. You can buy an iPad, you can buy a a watch, you can buy AirPods, you can buy like uh, computers and you can pay it off and it just comes off as a debit. But all that stuff ends up just weighing you down. And I, and I went to buy this chain yesterday and I was like, give me the biggest chain. Yeah, you know, and this thing is heavy. And if I had to walk around with this thing all day, it would start to really frustrate me and just weigh me down. And that's the problem with debt. And J uh, James Ramsey, uh, what's his name? Dave Ramsey, uh, we're talking about James just now. Um, he, he's pretty hardcore on the debt thing. He's like no debt whatsoever because he just looks at a lot, his context as America and they reckon 90% of America is just in crazy, crazy debt. So he goes hard on this subject. And I know maybe some of you may feel like there's good debt and bad debt, like is, is a mortgage a, a bad debt? Some people are saying, no, no, I want to pay cash for everything. And, and I get you may have different opinions on that. But one thing we do know for sure is that debt does weigh you down. Imagine you didn't have anything to pay off. Like, just imagine. Like, everything that comes in, you, you can decide what to do with it. Obviously, we're always going to have accounts and bills to pay, but imagine not having a car payment. Imagine not having a house payment. Wouldn't it be amazing? Some of you, imagine not having that clothing account payment that you spent up to like eight, nine, ten thousand rand on, and now you're spending six, seven hundred rand a month just paying it off, and you're like, oh, but I want this new shirt or these new shoes, but you've got to pay off the shoes you bought a year ago 
that are even out of fashion that you don't even wear anymore. Am I striking a chord here? But even right now, this is irritating me. It's just like heavy and I don't have to live like this because it's a chain. The Bible says that the, the slave, the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And there is a system that this world is, you know, kind of, uh, it's just, we're used to it now. There's a whole system where we borrow money. I'm gonna put this down here because it's, can you hear how heavy it is? It's scratching the table. Matthew 6 says this, no one can serve two masters for you either hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So if you make money your God, the love of money, the root of all evil, you will be enslaved to it. And it's difficult because you look at what the world feeds us. We are just inundated with marketing and new things. I mean, you, you watch any TV show or sport, even now like on the DSTV app or Netflix, there's, there's ads now. How many of you hate those ads? You just wait for that button bottom right to click skip, you know? At least we've got that option nowadays. And sometimes when they, they, they make you watch the full ad, you're like, oh. But remember TV shows when you were young, like Waiting for Knight Rider or A-Team or MacGyver and I mean, I thought the TV show was an hour long, only to, to realize that they were only about 39 minutes because there was 20 minutes of ads that you had to watch through the whole way through the TV show. As it got to the best part, like there's an ad, you know? But because of the subtle lie and the messages we get, something tragic starts to happen and something creeps in. And we've spoken about it at church before, but it's called comparison. Comparison will either make you feel inferior or superior, and neither honors God. It will either make you feel inferior or superior, but eat, neither honors God. And we'll start looking at what someone else has and want that, and then we'll get into bondage, have chains over our neck just to get it. And you know, there's that famous age-old saying, I wonder if they're ever gonna change the surname, but keeping up with the Joneses, and do you know the Joneses, 90% of the time are in debt themselves. And the problem with keeping up with the Joneses back in the day was that they were normally the people that you were close to, or they talk about your neighbors. But the problem with today is, as you know, with social media, the Joneses are all around us. It's, it's quite terrifying because everyone's posting now, everyone's posting about their lives, and we have the struggle of keeping up with the Joneses not just the next door neighbor, but all of our friends. It's a struggle. Comparison will not just steal your joy, but it will steal your salary. And no one wins in the game of comparison. Dave Ramsey said this famous quote, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. How true is that? And we need to fix this. We need to change. Do you remember that from last week? How many times have you done that this past week? Anyone? Clap, clap, change. Have you done it with your kids? <laughs> but we do. We need to change. How do we break the cycle of the stuff owning us and dealing with comparison? Just three quick things. The first is gratitude. Now, gratitude is not what he has given you, but it's what he's entrusted to you. That's real gratitude. Not what he's just given you, but what he's entrusted to you. 
And there's so many things that God has given us. It's not just stuff, but it's the ability to work. It's our passions, our talents, our dreams. It's all His. And when we realize that we're just a steward, the word steward is, just means to manage. We're managing God's things, God's stuff, really. So if He tells you to give something away, because it's His anyway, you give it away. Because you trust Him with your life. And that's gratitude, saying, God, everything you give me is yours. And you know what? When we start to put our trust in God rather than our salary, it's, it's so freeing. If we have a heart filled with gratitude, there's no room for discontentment in our life. And when, we have, when we're full of discontentment, it leads to bitterness, and then it just leads to death in all areas of our lives where we just feel like giving up. I remember many years ago, I just, um, just wanted to be grateful to God. And I was driving back from a wedding in the Midlands. And so I had an hour drive home in the car. And I just thought, let me just start to, you know, talk to God and tell him a few things that I'm grateful for. I thought maybe the conversation with God would maybe last a few minutes, you know, maybe list 10 things. It ended up lasting an hour. Because I was just so overwhelmed and so grateful for so many things. As, as I was thinking of that, then it went to the next thing, then it went to the next thing, the next thing. And when we can start to do that, it's life-changing to be filled with gratitude. I wasn't planning to tell the story, but just think of it now. There was a, a guy who was kind of at the end of his life. He, he actually wanted to take his life, and he went to go see a pastor. And he was like, look, this is the last shot. Like, I, I'm like at my end here. And the pastor said to him, name one thing that you're grateful for, one thing that you, you, you're good at. And he was like, I, I can't even name one. He says, come on, you can name just, just, just give me one. That's all I want, it's just one. And he said, um, hmm, well, sometimes people say I'm funny. I suppose I should be grateful for that. He goes, that, that, that's good. He says, anything else? Well, you said only one, anything else? Well, some, sometimes people have said that like I, I've been a loyal friend. He said, carry on. And this guy carried on and he wrote down a list of a hundred things that he was grateful for, that he was thankful for, things that... He felt like God had blessed him with. And uh, this pastor saw this guy leave like a different man, but didn't ever know what happened to him. Ten years later, this man came up to the pastor at one of his end of his church services and said, do you remember me? And he says, I actually don't. And he pulled out a crumpled piece of paper of a list that was in his wallet. And he said, thank you for this. This changed my life. And when we just start to be grateful for the small things and just give it a go, just be grateful. And it's amazing how that list just grows. There's just so much to be thankful for. So learn to be grateful. And then once we're grateful and have gratitude, we can move on to humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, Rick Warren says. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. And when we have humility in our hearts where it's less about us and we start to have an outward perspective, it's amazing how other things just fall into place. And we are in such a self-driven world. We're taught to be independent. Our phones have front cameras on them for selfies, right? They're even now starting to tweak these selfies, like to have these nice filters so that we look better, you know, because how many of you know you can never take a decent selfie? Eh? <laughs> can you just take the photo for me? Just flip it around, you know? But when we, we start to be humble and think of ourselves less and more of others, we start to, to be more generous in our life, more outward focus in our life. And do you know that we are made in God's image? And God is a giver. God is generous. He gave His only Son and we have His DNA in us. 
And we should be following in that pattern. It should be our default to be generous. And once we have humility, I think we can move on to contentment. Now, contentment is an interesting word because it speaks of being satisfied, but it's also, it doesn't have a negative connotation where it's like, well, I can just like be comfortable and just live in this space. It doesn't mean you have to be apathetic or you have to be lazy now because you're content. It, you can still work hard, but basically for me, I think contentment is just having a peace. Being content in your current environment, your current situation, and just having a peace. You don't need stuff to give you peace. I remember when we had our like six months of travels and we, we rented out our house, it was a difficult time for us, just letting go of everything. You know, no cars, nothing. All we had for that six months was a, a, as a bag each. And in the second part of the trip, I told the kids we couldn't even take a bag that we checked in because it was just a mission in the airport. And we had a little like, little like wheelie bag. And I actually realized that you can be content just with this. If, if we lost everything else, as long as we have our family and we have God and these few little things, we can be content. I remember being um, asked to come to the deathbed of a very well-known prominent businessman in the area um, to come pray with him and him and the family. And he, he was a pretty wealthy man and designed and invented many things. But when I got there, it was quite a surreal uh, experience. I've, I've never been at the, like, when, when, you know, you're seeing the heart rate slow down on the monitor, and I watched his heart rate slow down, and, and I was there when it actually flatlined, and, and he went. It was, it was quite a surreal moment. But I just remember really just processing and thinking in that moment, what matters? <laughs> All that mattered right then and there, that moment, wasn't his new car, and he had nice cars. It wasn't his new phone. It, it was his family. That's all that mattered, right? Then he, he, he can't take anything with him. Uh, my uncle always says, there's no roof racks on a hearse. <laughs> you can't take anything with you. But as it goes, I wish I could have grabbed a photo of it, but I was down in Springfield one day, and I promise you now, a hearse drove past with roof racks on them. <laughs> but learning to be content is so powerful. I love what 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 says, yet true godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. Some, some versions say it's great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want to have great wealth in your life and it's got nothing to do with money, if you want to be satisfied and rich and full of God's goodness, have godliness and contentment. Learning to be content is so powerful. So that's the first lie culture tells us about money. If I can just buy this, if I can just have this, nothing wrong with stuff, but when we get our self-worth from it and we have to have it to be happy, I think it's going to ruin our life. The second is this. You don't need anyone else. I think we applaud self-sufficiency in this world. We applaud independence. And um, I think it's good to be independent in some ways and to do things on your own and kind of achieve things. I think it's amazing. You actually find a lot of the sports that we think are individual sports like golf. You'll hear a lot of the golfers thank their team. There's always a team around them. Yes, on the course, it's them and that ball, but they also often have a caddy next to them. But everything in life, if you want to go far, have a team around you. And I think even as a Christian, we, we have God. He knows us and we should know him intimately. I mean, I love Luke 12. It speaks about how he, he, he knows the amount of hairs on our head. God knows us. And God wants us to be known in all aspects of our life. But when it comes to our finances, you know, there's this idea of 
privacy and like nervousness around anyone ever knowing what was going on in our finances. I don't know. I think it's a pride thing, really, you know. Um, but we need to work together with people. And for those of you who are married here today or maybe planning to get married, we spoke about our marriage prep course and there's a whole bunch that are doing it. And I think it's so much better to do things together. And I'm, I'm quite shocked when I hear of married couples not knowing what's going on in each other's finances. And money and marriage is, as we spoke about last week, it's one of the biggest reasons for divorce is money fights. Someone uh, shouted out last week, the biggest reason for divorce is marriage. <laughs> but marriage is a good thing, okay? But your spouse is the number one person that you should do this money thing with. But the problem is we live in this world that tells us we've got to be independent. I deserve to be happy all the time. I deserve to get it my way. I work harder than my spouse. I make more money than my spouse. So I deserve to say how it's going to be spent. You know, she or he stays at home. I'm out working. Therefore, I get to deserve, you know, what I spend it on. I make more. You know, I've always said to my wife, if you made more money than me, I'd be so stoked, eh? to be honest. I know there's some guys that like battle with that. Like maybe they feel like they have to make. I'm like, Jen, please, if you could make more than me, wonderful. Please, it would be amazing. Because I know she'll share it with me. <laughs> but often as a woman, you know, we struggle with the things you should never have to depend on a man, you know, it teaches us, you know, and, and I get that. I, I'm not saying, you know, especially as you growing up in life, have investments, have savings and be clever with your money. But I think there's power in a team. If you're married, it's so powerful to work together. And, you know, people struggle with this idea of being one or, or combining their money. And, and a couple of reasons is I think we, we want sometimes our own little things to be done this way, you know, but it often creates a wedge and forms distrust in the marriage. And sometimes we think, no, I'll just do it this way because it will avoid conflict because I think money fights are, are, are real things. But if you are avoiding these money um, conversations, I, I, I would have a guess that you're probably avoiding other conversations or difficult ones in your marriage. Money Magazine uh, 2014 survey said that 70% of married couples argue more about money ahead of fights about household chores, togetherness, sex, snoring, and what's for dinner. <laughs> Couple things to help with togetherness. This is going to be a pretty uh, bold statement, but join your bank accounts. I'm not saying don't have your own. But when I log into my banking, Jin's account's there too. She can see mine and I can see hers. It's quiet in here, eh? <laughs> when you get married and when the marriage officer said it's better that two become one and, and, and he prayed a blessing over you and you made the covenant of becoming one, that's becoming one in all aspects and all areas of your life. Maybe controversial, you know, I think being vulnerable as well, you know, it, it opens up that, that idea of like, you know, people knowing what's going on, like especially between a husband and wife. You know, I hear of some, maybe a husband taking his life and, and the wife saying, I had no idea that he was in financial trouble. And it's pride that would, you know, cause someone to get to such a low space. But if he had just been able to share that with his spouse, perhaps they could have had a way out. And it creates unity as well in the marriage. It's a tactical sign of saying that we are one. 
Jen and I have always just shared everything. Just, it's open. I mean, we, we, we talk about it. I mean, obviously, I'll get to it in a moment, but uh, about budgets and stuff, but we just, it's open. I mean, she can go in and see, and I mean, it's, I'm never going to have anything to hide from her. She doesn't have anything to hide from me. And just while I'm on this, maybe the Holy Spirit drops these things. Your, your spouse should know the passcode of your phone. Ooh. Seriously, why, why shouldn't she? I, I hear of marriages, I'm sometimes trying to help, and they, they're not allowed to look at each other's phones. I'm like, are you joking? Like, I'm like, John, there's my phone. Look through anything there, any photo, any internet history search. It's, I've got nothing to hide. And you know, because of that, I sleep well <laughs> at night. I ask John, I go to sleep in three seconds. It's wonderful. Oh. I'm not saying I'm perfect. We all have issues. We all have struggles. We all have temptations. But it's one of the best things. If, if your life can be an open book to your spouse, just there, there it is. Why wouldn't we share our passwords and bank accounts with each other? I said I get to budgeting. Last week, they spoke a little bit about budgeting. And, and I like what he said. He said, like, all the budget does is tell your money where to go each month instead of leaving you wondering where it went. But some of us avoid budget meetings because they're hard. I must admit, sometimes I, you know, if we were to have a conversation with Jen, you know, it's like the, these conversations are quite tough and interesting. I, I would suggest don't have them at 5.30 when it's happy hour with the kids running around or, you know, maybe at 12 o'clock at night as well after you've just watched the F1 TV show. I've been watching that. It's pretty cool. Eh? Um, you know, you've you got to kind of be fresh. Maybe go have a coffee somewhere, discuss it, just give some time to it. But it's so important to have those conversations. And you, you know what's helpful about working a budget together? It, it, it helps you appreciate the differences in each other. And um, <laughs> I love that, like, in most relationships, it's, it's amazing how opposites attract. And you'll, you'll get the, the nerd in the relationship, the one who likes to budget and have Excel. I've got a friend, he's got everything on Excel. Like, if he literally buys a coffee, it goes into the Excel spreadsheet. And it all tallies up and adds up, you know. And then you also get, let's call them the, the free-spirited one. <laughs> the one that's a little bit just stuck, you know. And, and that's what's lovely about budget meetings and discussing, appreciating that about each other. And I think when we, when we learn to work a budget together, it, it makes us grow in our self-awareness with things that we need to change. And it also helps us have empathy for, for, for other people and, and obviously for your spouse. Um, it helps you put other people above yourself. It also helps you know more about yourself and money and also helps with certain tendencies. It, it, you know, like in most relationships, you also get the spender and then you get the saver. And you get the abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset or the, the quality mindset versus the quantity mindset, okay? Or the things mindset versus experiences mindset. And I think it's amazing how God compliments us with relationships around us. Now, I think then maybe the last thing just around the money thing is, is not only talk about it, but even sometimes pray about it or you know, uh, pray about it with your spouse or pray about it with your family or, you know, it, it's important to even for those of you who have kids, bring them in on the journey. I mean, we've been open with our kids about money and the value of money and all those things. I think even my parents are pretty good with that around us. They didn't hide some of that stuff from us, but obviously have age-appropriate conversations, but I think it's important to, to let them be aware and understand. My son last week is so funny. Um, we announced the marriage course, the marriage prep course, and I was saying it's only 240 bucks. I was like, it's cheap. It's... Um, you know, you get a coffee, you get a snack every week, and in the end, you get a dinner. I'm like, that's pretty reasonable, right? I get down, and he leans across to me. He says, you shouldn't have said that's cheap. 
This is my son, he's eight. So I was like, why? He goes, because I saw a poor guy here and that for him is expensive. <laughs> so he made me go to the poor guy that was here last week who, who, who literally came off off the street. We've, he's been here before and we, we had to give him some money and a food parcel, you know. So, I mean, he's very sensitive to those things. So I think he understands the value of 240 rand. And I think that's important. And then the last thing about this before we move to the last two quick points is if you're single, because you're saying, hey, Hilton, you're just talking about married couples or relationships. If you're single, you can also still not do this in isolation. You can be known and you can have a friend or someone that you look up to, a business person that you work for or just someone that you feel is wise with money. And you can sit down with that person, ask them to help you with the budget if you're not good with it yourself. Maybe you can just be honest with them. Hey, I spend too much time on take a lot, buying things I don't need. They sit in my cart and then got them in my favorite section. And when they go on special, I buy them. I don't know. Maybe you can be open about your conversations. And I think two brains together just help with managing it right. Okay, the last two lies culture tells us about money. Are you getting something out of this today? Hopefully. Um, you are your mistake. This is a big one. You are your mistake. I'll explain it now in a moment. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and a new life has become, begun. And I just want to encourage anyone listening to this today, those online, those in the room here today, you may feel an immense amount of guilt or shame or poor decisions or you're in a hole right now. The lie culture will tell you is that you're a mistake. And I really do get that Money is the only thing that we can have a, a, like a, a value to. Like if I said to you, I'm struggling, I, I can't give that a number, like I'm, I'm at about two. Or if I'm feeling a little bit dry in my spiritual life, God, I can't give that a number. But money and the mismanagement of money has, that changes, moved by itself. Okay, so it's a sign, don't have debt. Um, <laughs> but it gives us a number. And you know what often happens? Our net value minus what we owe is a number, but often that number becomes our self-worth because it's a real tangible thing. And I know some of your mistakes are a lot worse than others. Some of your mistakes have a lot more zeros than others. I don't know where it's at, but don't let that determine your future and who you are as a person. We all make mistakes, all of us. I was trying to think of a mistake that that I made and I, and I was thinking in my mind back to when I was in, uh, we went to visit my sister in the UK and I hired this car. Do you remember this dad? And we, we go look at, my brother was looking for a car and uh, I think you can put it up on the screen. First of all, they gave me a fine because they said I parked in the sidewalk. I'm like, are you joking? People can still come out the back there. So I got a fine, it was like a hundred pounds or something like that. So I fought it and I wrote letters and they let me off, which is, I'm grateful for. But that car right there, we drove into the middle of London, terrifying driving there, and I parked somewhere at this car dealership helping my, my brother. And then when it came time to go, I just reversed and forgot about the little pole that you couldn't see. They have these little poles on sidewalks in London, and I just went straight into the pole. Do you remember that? My dad was in the car, my brother's car, and I just heard, and now I'm in a high car where I clearly remember the excess being 1,400 pounds. It's like 30,000 rand. I was like, I am in deep trouble. And my dad even looked at me and said, you're on your own, pal. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. So I went straight into True Hilton Greg operational style. I phoned the dealership. I went and I ordered a light because <laughs> the light was cracked. I ordered touch-up paint. 
and I replaced the light myself. It cost me 100 pounds, and I replaced it. And when we returned the car, I mean, it looked like good as new. And I remember the guy looking around the car like this, and as he went past the light, he walked around. I was like, thank you, Jesus. You know, imagine paying 30,000 rand excess, you know. We all make mistakes, and I remember just feeling so bad about it, and I got a fine. We all make mistakes. But those mistakes shouldn't define us. God has given us grace to make a new start. And the last point, the last lie Kelchester tells us about money is, you only live once, YOLO. Although that statement is true, and I think it's good to have that kind of idea when it comes to certain things in life, you only live once, just do it, right? But when it comes to our money, I think we must be very, very careful with that statement. Because so often we make a, a, a very stupid decision. Well, I only live once, let me just buy it. And we're all gonna have that regret. I know anyone who's ever bought a new car before, what's the feeling you have the next day? It's like, ah, oh, I don't know if I should have bought that or something else, like maybe I should return it, then it's too late to return. I mean, we all, we all have that, but we should go into every decision that we make when it comes to our finances with confidence, know that we've spoken about it with the people around us, with our spouse, we've prayed about it. And if we're not going into debt for it, I think we know we can make a wise decision with confidence, not just like, oh, make these rash decisions. And that's the problem with, some, with credit cards sometimes that we have a huge facility on is you can make some of these YOLO decisions and they can end up costing you. Listen to what Proverbs 13, 22 says. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. We've got to understand there's something bigger at play here. It's not just about living in the moment and buying what we have now. I do agree that we should enjoy life. And if you can afford something and, you know, we only live once, so we can enjoy it this side of eternity, but at the same time, we need to keep an inheritance. There's a legacy that we're passing on, and it's not just only, you know, how we, um, you know, what we actually do with our money, but it's even the relationship that we have with money. It's so important that we pass this legacy on to our kids. You need to know why you handle money the way you do. And you need to know your legacy and, and understand some of the principles that you've been taught and how to apply them into your life and how to apply them going forward with young people around you. Even some of the, the more wiser, older people in this church, I really want to encourage you to invest in some of the young people you see around. Just build friendships, build connections, and they will be looking up to you just to, to get some advice, to get some godly wisdom. You need to know yourself and know how to handle money. And if you don't know, and even if you're 50 years old and you're not quite good at handling money, you can get help. Go speak to someone else. You can do courses. I know um, Dave Ramsey has an amazing course called Financial Peace. I think we ran it here in the church a, a few years ago. We'll chat to um, Adele from Bible College. Maybe we can introduce it into one of the college courses going forward, but it's an incredible course. And just to close off with, again, if I pick up this chain, I think we have a, a choice what we're going to do with our finances and we can either leave this legacy for our kids or we can leave a different legacy. And I, I've got a rope here. And one of the kind of conversations we're having with our kids at the moment as they grow up is we're giving them a little bit more rope uh, in making decisions in their life the older they get. It's quite terrifying, guys. Chloe just got a learner's license. Last night we were out. She thought it would be okay. She didn't do this, thankfully but that she would just drive to meet her friends for dinner. I'm like, are you joking? 
Like, you don't even have a license. She goes, it's so close. It'll be fine. So if she had just got in the car and driven herself without asking, I would have had to pull that rope back in. And the idea is as your kids get older, you give them a little bit more slack. And as they start to make wise decisions, they can start to, you know, have a little bit more rope. As they are still under our roof, we are still attached to this end of the rope. We're having conversations with my son, you know, he's 15 and, you know, some of some friends around him maybe aren't the wisest influence on his life. So we, you know, we're pulling the rope in a little bit, you know. And then as he makes wiser decisions and healthier decisions, then there's a little bit more trust, you know. I remember once uh, Chloe going to a party and uh, we said we would meet at a certain time. When we went to pick her up, she wasn't there. She had gone home with her friend and just messaged us to say, yo, you can pick him up from his friend's house. So guess what we did? We just pulled the rope in a little bit. We weren't being ugly, but we were just saying, you could have phoned us and asked us first before you just got in a car with your friend and went to us. We probably would have been okay with it, but we're just gonna pull in the rope a little bit and keep it a little bit tighter. But as she matures and gets older and you know gets 18 then 21 you eventually release the rope and at some stage I'm not sure when that is maybe around 30 I don't know no, I'm kidding but we're gonna have to give her the rope entirely and say yeah it's yours make your own decisions it's not attached to us anymore I hope that the rope attaches to God and she starts to make the right choices in her life when it comes to relationships friendships moral issues God's decisions around what her life looks like and God is saying that to us today. We have a choice. Listen to what Deuteronomy says. This is closing. Today I've given you a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I'll call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. You see, choosing life, a life with God, isn't a life of bondage, but it's a life of boundaries, healthy decisions. Sometimes, we feel that it like restricts us, but then we've got, we're misunderstanding it. But choose a life so that you may, you and your descendants, again, talking about legacies, might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and committing yourself firmly to Him. And that's in all areas of our life, particularly our finances. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land. The Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's saying to you today, choose life or choose death. It's your choice. That sounded really cool. That, I should have sampled that sound as it landed there. Like some of you are wondering what I'm talking about, but people actually record those sounds and then they put them in music and movies. Sounds amazing, but that's often... That sound right there, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hurtful, it's painful. Many of us have made the wrong choices when it comes to our finances and we end up in pain. So what are you gonna choose today? Life or death? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the guidance that you give us in your word. And it's not a chain, it's not bondage, but it's boundaries. It's actually a bit of freedom. And Lord, you want us to make the right decisions in all areas of our life, particularly when it comes to money, because money is something that is so important to us. We need it. We deal with it every day. We think about it. But Lord, let it not consume us. Let us just be wise in the decisions that we make with regards to money, God. Help us to be accountable, to have people around us 
that we can trust that can help. And God, I just pray for anyone here today that feels in bondage and literally in bondage, in debt. I pray today that you would give wisdom and strategy to them, God, just how to get out of that. And we know it's not an overnight quick fix. It can take a long time. God, I pray for the courage just to fill their hearts today. Learning to say no to some things and um, being accountable to decisions and help them, Lord, let it be something that they would be able to pull through so that one day they can be free, have margin in their life so that we can be more generous. Take care of ourselves, but be more generous to those around us, Lord. Would you help us with this thing? It's a, it's a real struggle with all of us. And, and, and the crazy thing is it's so secretive to so many of us. Even you watching this today, you here today, and you going, oh, if, you, if you just knew the mess that I'm in right now, you'd be praying for another hour for me. The good news is God gives you a new chance today. He's a new day. We don't have to be our mistakes. It can't, doesn't have to define our futures. I know there are consequences on the decisions that we make. And for some of you, it's, it's not looking good right now, but you can make a choice today to choose life or to choose death. And Lord, I really pray for wisdom for those that are struggling in this area. Give us a heavenly perspective today, God. Would you help us, Father, just to manage our money, our resources, our talent, everything that you've given us, that we would steward it correctly, Father. That even right now in our hearts, we say, thank you, God, it's all yours anyway. Help me manage it. Thank you, Jesus. And the last prayer I want to pray today, if anyone is here that doesn't know God, and you've heard a few of the scriptures, you've heard about God being part of our lives, you've sung some of the songs today and connected with some of the words and you're like, you know what, I don't need to just get my finances right, I need to get my life right. And you find yourself in chains and in debt and guilt and shame for things that you've done in your life, not just with money, but just in all aspects of your life. Today, you have an opportunity for a new start. God is always about new starts. He's sent His Son Jesus to die for you so that you could be free. And if you would like to pray a prayer today, um, it's a prayer just giving your life to God, committing it to Him, and you can start this new journey with God. If you've never prayed that prayer before, I'd love to pray with you. And uh, maybe you're online with us. I, I can't see you. Lift up your hand if you would like to pray that prayer. But if there's anyone in the room here today who'd like to pray that prayer, never prayed it before, prayer of commitment. Everyone's eyes are closed, but if you'd like to pray the prayer, you could maybe just indicate quickly with me. So I know I'm praying with anyone here today would like to pray it in the room. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing. There's two people put up their hands in here. Anyone else? I don't know if there's anyone in the foyer or out there, but we're going to pray this together nice and loud. All of us, let's pray it. And for those that have prayed it before, we're praying it as a recommitment. Let's say, dear Jesus, from today, I give you my life. I'm sorry for my past. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. And from today, Lord, I put you first. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate those people that prayed that prayer for the first time. And just before we close, we wanted to show you something pretty special. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you heard from Leon who had been looted and God used uh, 
his generous heart to just go and give out. It's an incredible story. We managed to capture and film that story. And the reason we're showing you this today, because as a build-up to Heart for the House, which is coming in the first weekend of September, where we can be generous to this house, we've been giving you opportunities to give to other areas. Last week, we had an opportunity to give towards uh, finishing that house for, for that mom that's taken one of the Nganiami children. That video is up on there if you want to watch it. Next week, we're going to give you an opportunity to hear a little bit about True Life. But this week, we want to just quickly highlight Open Hands, which is an amazing ministry, just being generous and giving out to the need that we have in the community. And uh, Open Hands is continuing. We got, the mezzanine has still got food up there. We're busy dishing out and giving out. And it's an incredible ministry. And it's through the generous people of this church. And when we can have margin in our life, when we're not in bondage, we have more margin. We can have more rope to be free with our choices of money. And I wanted to show you this quick video of, um, of, of Leon and how God stirs us to be generous. And we'll watch that and then Colin will come and close. <laughs> 